0: Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. You know, one of the biggest changes I've seen in Japanese startups over the last 20 years is the increasing number that are coming out of Japan's top universities. And I've got to say, there's both a positive side and a negative side To the large number of new startups being founded at these universities, particularly at the University of Tokyo. On the positive side, it's great that so many of Japan's top students, students who have the option of a fast-track career in government or Japanese industry, are choosing to take a risk and start a company. It's a concrete sign that things really are changing in Japan. However, the fact that there has been such a large number of founders, from the University of Tokyo in particular, shows that in some ways, not that much has changed. The fact is that when Todai ramped up their entrepreneurship program, they brought resources to bear that only they could. Todai students have access to government connections, funding, and industry programs and alliances that no one else in Japan has. Of course, some founders from Todai rely heavily on these connections, some almost exclusively, and others barely use them at all. And in the end, of course, outside of a small handful of startups that rely primarily on government investment, all startups will succeed or fail in the same public marketplace. Still, however, sometimes the most inspiring founders are those who come from somewhere you don't expect. Someone who takes an unusual and unlikely path to entrepreneurship. And Takuro Yoshida of Logbar is a founder in that mold. When I first met him four or five years ago, he was tending bar and trying to innovate bartending. Over the past few years, He and his team have run one of Japan's largest Kickstarter campaigns and developed, released, and secured national and international distribution for two completely different hardware products. And I think you can learn a lot from him. But you know, Takuro tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Your journey to success in Japan will involve some twists and turns in trying to navigate new terrain, planning the safest, most effective way through on your own can be overwhelming. The Carter Group have been using market intelligence and research to guide Japan entrants for decades. They've honed an agile, cost-effective, but consultative approach that will help you find the perfect product market fit, explore user and consumer dynamics, and act as an honest broker to let you know the reputation and track record of potential partners here in Japan. And when you're ready to go, their executive search team can also help you hire the right people to drive your business forward. So if you haven't got Japan completely figured out yet, the Carter Group can help you out. So I'm sitting here with Taku Yoshida of Logbar, one of Japan's most creative Internet of Things startups. So thanks for sitting down with me today. Thank you. Logbars created both the ring and E D automatic translator. So before we get started, why don't you just tell me a bit about the company and about your products? Okay.
1: So uh, we started our company from uh, since like 2013. Actually, you know, Logbars comes from like Real Bar. Right. Yeah. I was a real bartender and I was making a cup.
0: Well actually that's right. The very first time we met mm-hmm. I was running Engine Yard and you oh, yeah. were you were running the bar and you just developed a system that would let people order drinks on the iPad.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, you yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I, we are doing that. <laughs> it was fun. You can make a original cocktail in the, you know, bar and then you can communicate with you know people.
0: I want to talk about your, your history in a little, a little bit, mm-hmm. but first, tell us about the ring and tell us about the automatic translator. Okay.
1: So ring, you know, you put in the finger and then if you do the gesture, maybe you can turn on the TV or you can control the music in the app, or maybe you can play the game. And so that ring is kind of like a gesture control device that right. we made.
0: Bluetooth connect is it Bluetooth. Uh, yes, or,
1: uh, uh, you connect with the Bluetooth, like BLE, with a smartphone, like iPhone or Android, and then you can use that
0: to control just about anything. Yes, anything, yeah. And you also released the ED automatic translator, mm-hmm. which is a hardware device that translates which which languages.
1: Ah, uh, Japanese, Chinese, and uh, Spanish, and Spanish. then we are supporting the Korean too.
0: Cool. Yeah. Let's back up to your. Your bartending days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's a bit of a jump. Why? What got you interested in programming and startups and side projects?
1: Each year, I go visit like a Silicon Valley, and because I used to live in there like for uh, one years and a half, and when I was students, and then after I came back to Japan, I always dream of like you know, oh, I wanna be an engineer, or I wanna make a, you know like an enter- entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. So every year I kind of do the presentation. I, I kind of like make uh, some idea and then present in, the, in front of the PC in uh-huh. the Silicon Valley. But most of the time it doesn't work. It, it, it <laughs> didn't work, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I always challenge that. and yeah.
0: Well, what, what kind of ideas did you have before, before. Ring and before EV? What, what are the ideas that didn't work out?
1: Um, b- before, like, you know, I had a girlfriend in the, and I lived in New York, and then my girlfriend is in Japan. So it's kind of a long, t- long relationship, right? So I made uh, web services. It's like a, uh, like a Facebook or like a Myspace.com, but only for the two people, you know, only me and a girlfriend. Oh, okay. So that's kind of SNS, like social network services I built. Uh, it was great. In Japan, I got some like new users, but in the US, no, <laughs> it's kind of hard to get it. So that is one idea. And, and then next one is like a Twitter, like a one sentence each time and then you can communicate with the uh, random people, something like that. So I kind of made uh, some web services for to mainly focusing on communication. Okay. Yeah.
0: You were saying you were, pit- you were talking to VCs and making these presentations mm-hmm. and not getting a lot of success that way. But when you started Ring in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, you didn't use a VC money. You ran one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah. So. Before running Kickstarter, was this an idea the VCs rejected? Before the Kickstarter,
1: we raised uh, some like engine fund.
0: Okay. And it's
1: not that big amount, but a little amount that you know, is enough for the you know, making prototype. And then after we made the prototype, almost ready for the mass production, we started Kickstarter. And then we could raise the money for the mass production.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the Kickstarter was a combination of fundraising and marketing.
1: Yeah, marketing. Yes.
0: The Kickstarter. I mean, you raised over eight hundred thousand dollars on that mm-hmm. that campaign, but the production didn't go as smoothly as you expected. No. So what what happened during production?
1: Hard way is kind of hard to mass production always. One change takes like uh, th- sometimes two or three months. So at that time, like uh, we were expecting to ship like uh, maybe July. But we shipped there like October, so like three months uh, late.
0: Well, by Kickstarter standards, that's not, that's not too bad. It's not too bad, <laughs> actually, yeah. yeah. Were the delays caused just because this was your first time building hardware, or was there any particular problem you ran into?
1: Um, actually, that was like because maybe we had lack of experience with making hardware, because I'm the first time to actually build the hardware at that time. So we couldn't, you know, know the risk. Each time, you know, if I do this, maybe it takes more time or something like that. I don't know.
0: And there was many... Did you do the manufacturing here or in China? Uh, we did the ring in
1: Japan, actually. Really? Yes. So all the manufacturing local? Oh uh, Yes. So made in Japan and uh,
0: Epson yes. Actually, that should reduce a lot of the risk. A lot of the problems that other founders have had with hardware have been dealing with suppliers and yeah. quality control issues. Yeah. So. What advice would you have for other hardware startup founders or other Internet of Things founders so they can avoid these kind of delays?
1: Mm, I think you know, to avoid the delay, you need to experience, experience the hardware. So we have to trust the factory for the time. In the factory, our partner is not their, their fault, actually. Right. Always like, you know, our fault, most of the time. I always say, like, oh, I want to do this. I want to add a new function. And then they said, okay, but it takes time. Is that okay for you? you know? Then we always try to improve the hardware.
0: Okay, for a software startup, a development cycle might be one week. Yes. You're doing weekly sprints. You might have monthly and quarterly goals, but your basic cycle is a week. Yeah. For a hardware startup we are dealing with factory, and what's, what's the ideal cycle time? To make the prototype,
1: Usually take like three or four months, right? And then we have to make maybe two or three times the prototype. And then if we satisfy with the prototype, then we're gonna make final like prototype and then you know, mold. And then mold takes about one or two months.
0: Basically three month cycles during development yes. and then six month to one year cycles during production. And production, maybe yes. I remember when when the Ring was first released, you got a lot of attention Mm -hmm. both overseas and uh, in Japan as well. You had a distribution partnership with Elecom. Mm -hmm. Was most of the early interest from overseas or was it in Japan?
1: Uh, Actually, most of the interest from the US and
0: also Japan. Your first wave of sales was all Kickstarter driven. Mm -hmm. So after that, after your big Kickstarter success, what was your main driver of sales? Uh, after that, actually, we couldn't get much attention
1: for the ring, actually. Uh, it was great for the early adapters. But uh, for the uh, you know, normal consumers, uh, ring is kind of hard to get attention.
0: Why is this? Because this is something... So I think the ring, both Ring Zero, the particular product, and as a concept, mm-hmm. is really good. It seems like a ring would be a very natural... VR controller, yeah. it would have uses in sort of medical and tracking situations, mm-hmm. but these kind of devices haven't really caught on anywhere in the world. No. Why not?
1: One reason is going to be like, you know, we have like a smartphone, right? And then maybe we have a smartwatch. Right. But smartwatch doesn't get much attention because of iPhone or X like Android, right? Right. We already can do everything most of that time in the iPhone.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the iPhone was the most successful consumer device in history. It, it totally changed the way we interact with the world. Mm. The iWatch or smartwatches in general, it's just kind of an extension of the phone. But the ring is—it's an input device. It's a controller. It's something that's that's different. Mm-hmm. Has the problem been, it's just, we're still waiting for that killer app? Or uh, are there technology yes. limitations?
1: I think so. Like, you know, one thing, you know, we try to make as small as possible. But still, we have limitations. We also always say, oh, if we have more smaller battery, or if we have more smaller chips, maybe we can do this, we can do this. If we could make very small ring, and then we could add some function, then people are going to use it or not? We always have that kind of question after we kind of make the ring. And uh, the answer was like, uh, uh, it was interesting, but it's not for the everyone. Mm. But it always comes out just, you know, these people say, oh, it's a remote controller. And then it costs like 200 bucks. It costs $200 for just remote controller.
0: But it seems like, for example, the VR controllers have gone in the other direction. They're, they're becoming very complex devices where ring-type devices are extremely simple. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be the, the perfect application for ring devices? Um, maybe for the payment. You know. Payment? Yes, the payment or
1: maybe voice recognition is one of the great functions. The first time I thought about the ring, I want to make the like, communication more smoother. If we, you have a ring and I have a ring, and then if you do some gesture, maybe you can feel it with the vibration or something. All right. Then, like, you know, um, you, when you are walking or when you're studying something, and then you can communicate directly with, like, you know, partners or something.
0: Well, oh, that's interesting. So I was viewing the ring as a very simple input device. Mm-hmm. And your vision is more of a, a two way general communication device. Yes. So, sort of iPhone, and then a little more reduced would be the iWatch, and then a little more reduced is the ring. The ring. That was my, our
1: first idea. But when we sell, that only function sometimes doesn't help.
0: Well, that's, that's the hard thing. Any, any new product, hardware or software, it seems attention spans are short. Yeah. And it's almost like you have to say, this product solves this one specific problem. Mm-hmm.
1: The ring is very interesting. I really like it. But not most of the people need it. Right. it, it
0: it's interesting, but do you need it? Maybe not. What's the future of the Ring? So are we going to have a, a version 2? Or I guess if Ring 0 is the first one, do we have Ring 1? Or We will, but not, not soon.
1: Maybe within like 5 years or 10 years.
0: So when did you decide to put aside the Ring and focus on the, the EDI hardware translator?
1: We started the developing EDI translator since like 2 years ago years and maybe half.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they seem like very different products requiring very different technologies. Yeah. I thought like a you know, ring is very simple, you know, just
1: gesture, that's it. But when people use it, it's not. It's still very complicated. Because
0: yeah. It takes some, tra- I've used it. It, uh, yeah? it's, it takes some practice <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you spend the time and, and really work on just moving your finger it works, you know. yeah, it works yeah
1: so people worry about bluetooth connection and gesture recognition right they have to worry about two things so I thought about okay I don't want to use any more bluetooth or Wi-Fi or <laughs> those kind of like you know internet connection so okay I want to make something like n- not no need Wi-Fi and then I was thinking like you know when I went to the US first time I couldn't speak English at all like you know I study study English for five years but still, like, you know, my pronunciation is not what's good. And then, oh, maybe I want to make something like translators.
0: It, it was the same idea of of building something that you were excited about using. Yeah. Same right. core motivation. Same core motivation that is I want to have. But I was just looking around. Is there any translator existed? It's a tiny device. Mm-hmm. And it's self-contained. It doesn't need an internet or Wi-Fi connection to work, right? No. Cool. How have sales been? How are are people using
1: it? Uh, Yes, a lot of like hotel, like rental car in Hawaii already using uh, uh, Elite. We just started the enterprise version like since like two months ago or something. Already a lot of people are using in Hawaii.
0: About how many different businesses are, are using it?
1: Um, actually, we haven't uh, discussing that number. All right. But we actually got more than like 500 applications from all over the world. We cannot get everybody, right? And then we are focusing on like Hawaii, in the Tokyo, like Okinawa.
0: And like a, we kind of pick the place that we can work efficiently. Do you have to customize the, the translation software for each application? So, for example, do you have to develop custom... Libraries for rental cars and a different one for hotels. Yeah. and
1: Yeah. So we're only um, offering like enterprise version that comes like customized function. So uh, each company, for example, rental car company, like uh, we customize for them so that the staff can use. And also they lend easily to the customers.
0: Oh, yeah. okay. That seems like very different types of applications. So if you're on the enterprise side, if, you have, if you're doing a deal with a car rental service, mm-hmm. that's a very controlled environment. There's yeah, going to be you know, 50 to 100 questions that people will typically ask. Yeah. But it seems like if you give the device to a tourist mm-hmm. and just set them loose, there are unlimited yeah. potential questions. Mm-hmm. So what's the feedback been like from the consumer level? Okay.
1: So we actually focusing on like eating, like shopping, like asking directions or like maybe when you got some trouble, five or six situations that mostly like they have. But sometimes customers didn't know about this is only for travels. So maybe sometimes they try to use in the kind of like this kind of business discussion. It's not for that kind of like, you know, medical terms or like a business situation, but for just travel. Just for travel. Yeah. They kind of use very simple phrases like, oh, oh how much is this? Can you make a discount or... Oh, I don't need the spicy food or Mm. please remove like a cucumber or something. You know, that's enough.
0: The language software, Mm -hmm. are you licensing the software from another company? Is this something you've developed yourself? Actually, we are
1: uh, partner with like a Japanese government backed up research institute. We kind of like developing the library together.
0: Excellent. Is it a natural language processing or is it simply a phrase recognition algorithm? Uh, it's uh,
1: natural phrases, like uh, you use sometimes in the maybe Siri or that, that's the same system.
0: Fantastic. What, what does it cost?
1: For the enterprise version, we offer
0: like
1: $39 per month. Since
0: the device is for travelers, the idea is that no one will really buy one for themselves. They might rent it for a few days while they're on vacation. Uh, yeah, but you know, we in the US, and uh, in Taiwan and
1: China, uh, we started pre-order for the consumer product already. So uh, actually, you can buy. So we finished, uh We're gonna start the shipping the pre-order product from the October this October. Excellent. But we haven't sell in the Japan yet. <laughs> we're selling only you know, outside of the Japan.
0: Well, I'm sure up until the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, yeah. that's going to be a very big market in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, all tourism is ramping up. Yeah. Yeah. In the future, do you see the biggest competition for this being smartphone apps? Because, I mean, everyone's got a smartphone, they've got a tremendous amount of processing power, and it's hard to compete with that as a hardware platform. Uh,
1: Yes. People always ask me what different is Google Translators. But actually, I don't feel like that is the competitors. Our biggest competitor is that you have no custom to use the translator. Maybe you can use a smartphone, right? But we always ask, "Oh, have you ever used a translator in the actually direct person?" People say no, and then why? And then they said this kind of communication, you know, kind of hard to do,
0: or well, they had no habit to use translators, right? So, so your real core advantage there is it's the ease of use because it's a dedicated device with a button on it, yeah, and the fact that you'll have partners that will be introducing the device directly to consumers. Yeah, but still like, you know, even that is so
1: simple, since they have no habit to use it, so we have to tell them how to use it and
0: what kind of situations they can use it. The design of your product does make it a bit easier because it's, it's kind of like a microphone in that people, they, they get the idea of you speak into it, yeah. it talks, you let the other person speak into it, mm-hmm. it can answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about one big and perhaps kind of shocking experience you had when you first rolled this out. So when you first started publicizing Ili, you created this, this viral video. Yes. It was a video of a, a Western guy <laughs> using Ili to talk to and try to kiss Japanese girls. Mm-hmm. That was great. <laughs> I think we got a lot of attention.
1: And, uh, but you know, sometimes, some people it's about, you know, that it's kind of not it's not good at you. But that is totally the advertisement, not the real situation. Though.
0: Well, no, obviously. I mean, you didn't. It, it was all actors. it's not at Of course. Yes. But the reaction overseas was very negative. Were you trying to make a controversial video, mm-hmm. or were you surprised by that reaction? Yeah. When we
1: think about marketing, we have two options: try to keep it safe, or maybe people we get attention, but maybe. Negatively, we got in you It's kind of, it's always hard to think about. And at that time, we need a lot of attention. And then we want to, people to know real function, not only like translation. Like you know, people always say, "Oh, well, how accurate is it?" Easy, but it's not important actually. If you can talk with, con- communicate with people, then that is easy, not translated. Maybe two for for making friends. So that is kind of like my, our my first mind, and then.
0: Was your goal to make a controversial video? Were you hoping to get that attention from the beginning?
1: Yeah, we kind of like think like, oh, maybe we got negative reviews, but some people really like it, and then really know about the Ely, and then we got a lot of contacts. So I think that was successful, but you know, we cannot make always that kind of big uh, controversy, I mean. Right, right. (laughs) uh, right, Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right.
0: uh, Well, like they say, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm
1: Maybe in the future, maybe we try to make uh, a lot of movies, right? We've always make uh, something like, you know, it's not boring.
0: Was the reaction to the video in Japan the same way, or did people not care as much? Japanese people didn't
1: thought about that is bad one.
0: That was my sense too, is the, the Japanese I talked to thought it was kind of, a oh, cute idea. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So... What's the future of Logbar? Are, are you going to be just focusing on Ili and maybe bringing the ring back? Or do you have ideas for new products in the works?
1: Uh, I feel Ili is a uh, you know, very innovative product. And I haven't thinking about another product yet. Because Ili, is, we got a lot of attention. It's much, much higher than when we made a ring. So I feel uh, we have to spread this Ili to the, all over the world, not only Japan, not only the US, maybe China,
0: Taiwan, France. So a log bar is hundred percent elite right now. Yes. Let's talk about Japan in general. Japan, not too long ago, you know, thirty years ago or so, was unquestionably the world's leading innovator in hardware. Mm. But with the Internet of Things, even in hardware, software is becoming just as important as the physical hardware. Do you think Japan has fallen behind? Yes,
1: uh, maybe as pe- a lot of people know, the Japanese hardware industry is getting, I think, down okay. and down down. I think the main reason was there's nobody who can um, think the new things, but we have a lot of great engineers actually in Japan. A lot of software and hardware engineers. Mm-hmm. The only problem was the people you know who can gather all of them, and then so if we have more like a people like you know those kind of you know visionaries
0: and product people,
1: then uh,
0: Japan get more we can make. I think over the last five to ten years, with so much funding available to startups, a lot of these engineers can go out and do what you did and look for funding and look for partners and look for venture. Are we seeing more and more interesting hardware coming out of Japan now? Mm, I don't think so. No? What's holding it back? Uh,
1: About two or three years ago, maybe making... The hardware—it's kind of a, like a boom, but they face that oh, it costs money, and it kind of takes time. <laughs> so some people tried, uh, but they always give up.
0: Well, that, that's kind of what happened with you in the ring too—the first product. Yeah. So people
1: always didn't know how much that cost. They have ideas sometimes, but they face the reality. Most of t- people cannot take that—you know—reality. We, we are lucky because we have a Kickstarter, and then. Before the Kickstarter, I made a movie, a promotional movie, and we get a lot of like, you know, contact from the chips company. We were lucky, but most of them cannot get enough funding. or yeah.
0: So is it that the investors in Japan don't want to invest in hardware startups? No, they
1: don't. Because they got a lot of like bad experience investing in hardware before. The VCs feel like, oh, hardware is so hard.
0: Hardware is hard. Yeah. So what do you think the the solution for this is? Because I know there are there's a lot of really talented engineers in Japan, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people with really good ideas. Mm. So if VCs won't invest, do you see crowdfunding no, increasing? No, I think uh, crowdfunding
1: is not increasing. Maybe stay same. I fear.
0: you think things will pretty much stay the same. I th- I, feel, I think so. And hardware startups in Japan are going to be struggling. Yeah,
1: because uh, they don't invest the idea anymore. Before, like uh, two or three years ago, they invest is only just idea, right? But after they got experience that some, some idea doesn't come out, and then they feel risk. So maybe after they started mass production, maybe
0: they're going to buy it. Uh, but there's an awfully big gap between first prototype and mass production. Yeah, that's good, yeah. So what would be your advice to a smart engineer with a good hardware idea in Japan, what should they do? I don't know.
1: What I always do is like make a movie first. Yeah, because I want people know, if we have this device, this kind of future, you will experience. And then we can get a lot of like good review and good engineers because they saw that movie. That was always I do. I don't know if that works in another person or not, but uh, if they have an idea, maybe they can make a future first, and then just spread to the people.
0: I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's the same basic idea of a minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. You know, with software, it's easy to mock something up. Yeah, 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 But I guess in hardware, it's better to show the vision as a video of people using it. And yeah. Sometimes,
1: uh, you know, after you made a movie, maybe you cannot make the product. But if you focus 100%, maybe you will be close to that future, right? Yeah, but it's
0: much cheaper and much faster to make a movie than to make a prototype. Mm -hmm. Yes, That's that's true. Excellent. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I said that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, the legal system, anything at all to make it better for startups in Japan. Mm. What would you change? Mm. I think uh, we need uh, one big hero. One big hero? Yeah,
1: I think that is only one thing we need. It's like uh, people who, like, always making uh, uh, new things, very, like, innovative. And then people always, like, oh, I want to be like him. That's kind of real lack of in Japan.
0: So more role models.
1: Role models.
0: What about people like Mikitani or Son or from a past generation like Morita or those kind of people? Yeah, those kind of people are very smart. And then, you know, it's kind
1: of like uh, people need in Japan is like a more like a More like a hero. I feel like in the U.S. they have like Elon Musk, like Steve Jobs, right? Like a hero. In Japan, some people are great, but they are good at like managing the business.
0: Ah, okay. Most of them. So Sonson, Mikitani-san, everyone is—they're brilliant businessmen. Yeah, businessman. But they're—they're not visionaries. Visionaries.
1: So before, like we have a Sony, right? Mm. And then they made a Walkman. That is kind of like one product makes all the world change. And that was hero, right, in that age. So I think in Japan, we also need somebody that who can make people, a lot of people use and then, oh, I want to make that kind of product, and I want to be like him.
0: Then our uh, situation totally changed, I feel. Do you think it's just a matter of time before that kind of person emerges? Mm, I don't know. Because those, those kind of people, let's face it, they're, they're pretty rare. I mean we have like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or mm. Richard Branson or or you know, Morita from Sony a generation ago. Yeah. But there only seem to be five or six of those people in the world at any mm. given time. So do you think it's just a matter of time before it's Japan's turn? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Yes. I think so too. Mm. Well listen, Taku, thanks so much for sitting down with yeah, me. I appreciate much. it. Yeah, nice nice to talk to you. And we're back. Man, you really have to admire Takuro's dedication. The man kept trying project after project until he created something that got traction, and then he went all out on it. His experience with the Ring Zero was interesting. It was roundly rejected by investors, but it turned out to be one of the most popular Kickstarter projects from a Japanese maker. Ultimately, though, the ring ran into the same problem that plagues so many hardware startups in Japan and around the world, for that matter. It's extremely difficult to move from producing thousands of units to producing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of units. That takes significantly more capital and a lot more supply chain management expertise. And in a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of way... I think that's one of the main reasons a lot of Japanese investors stay away from hardware startups. Logbar's decision to develop a business model based on B2B sales and rentals is a good approach to bypassing this hardware startup valley of death. They look like they've got a good chance of making it work, and we'll be keeping a close eye on them from now on. If you've got a story about making or using Internet of Things hardware, Takuro and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 103 and tell us about it. And when you drop by this site, you'll see the links and notes that Takuro and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And hey, I know you've been meaning to do this for a while now, but when you get the chance please leave us an honest review on iTunes. It's really the best way you can support the show and help us get the word out. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.